Happy Mother's Day. It's a great joy for us to be here together, worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ and bringing a message to moms this morning. So if you're here today and you want to uh, pay close attention to the sermon, let me encourage you to go to our website. You could download our sermon notes. That way you could follow along. This morning we're going to be in Psalm 127, Psalm 127, and I've entitled this morning's message as Children Are a Heritage. That's right, children are are a heritage, Psalm 127. I'm just going to read it, and we're going to dive right in together this morning. The title of my Bible says, Unless the Lord Builds the House, a Song of Ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the fact that you are resurrecting us this morning because of the gospel, because of your love for us. And we're grateful for Psalm 127 that reminds us that unless you build the house, it's all in vain. And we're equally reminded this morning that children truly are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the, the, fruit of the womb, a reward. Thank you for children. Thank you for moms. Thank you for this message. I pray that it would be a great blessing and encouragement to us all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's a Mother's Day card that on the front reads, Mom, I remember that little prayer that you used to say for me every day. And then when you open the card, it reads this, quote, God help you if you ever do that again. Well, I'm sure there's some moms who probably had to pray that prayer for their children. That's part of what moms do. But we know that children are a precious gift from God. In fact, here is a tribute that one brave soul wrote about Mother's Day. It is entitled, What My Mother Taught Me. What my mother taught me. My mother taught me religion. You'd better pray that that will come out of the carpet. My mother taught me time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. My mother taught me foresight. Make sure you wear clean underwear just in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. I think this was maybe written a few uh, generations ago, but uh, I'll read on. My mother taught me contortionism. Will you look at that dirt on the back of your neck? My mother taught me about weather. This room looks like a tornado went through it. My mother taught me envy. There are millions of less fortunate children in this world who don't have wonderful parents like you do. My, parent taught, my mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. My mother taught me about receiving. You're going to get it when we get home. My mother taught me about humor. If you fall off of that fence and break your legs, don't come running to me. And my mother taught me wisdom. When you get to be my age, you will understand. And the last one here, my mother taught me about justice. One day you'll have kids and I hope they turn out just like you. Well, that's what one brave soul wrote about what he learned from his mother. We know we've learned so many things from our moms. We're so thankful for all of their teaching, all of their nurturing, all of their help. And this morning, we really want to honor all of you who are mothers. I want to encourage you. I want to preach a message to you to strengthen you at your task. And being a mother is not easy. It is a very difficult job. In fact, an anonymous author took the time to describe everything that a mother does by way of application. Here's what that application reads. It's posted, position, mother, mom, 
or mama? What's the job description? Long-term team players needed for challenging permanent work in an often chaotic environment. Candidates must possess excellent communication and organization skills and be willing to work variable hours, which include evenings and weekends and frequent 24-hour shifts on call. Some overnight travel is required, including trips to primitive camping sites on rainy weekends and endless sports tournaments in faraway cities. Travel expenses not reimbursed. Extensive courier duties also required. Responsibilities? To serve others the rest of your life must possess the physical stamina of a packed mule and be able to go from zero to 60 miles an hour in just three seconds flat, just in case this time the screams from the backyard are not someone crying wolf. Must be willing to face stimulating technical challenges such as small gadget repair, mysterious sluggish toilets, and stuck zippers. Must screen phone calls, maintain calendars, and coordinate production of multiple homework projects. Must have ability to plan and organize social gatherings for clients of all ages ages and mental outlooks. Responsibilities also include floor maintenance and janitorial work throughout the facility. Possibility for advancement and promotion? Virtually none. Your job is to remain in the same position you are for years to come without complaining, constantly retraining and updating your skills so that those under your charge can ultimately surpass you. Previous experience, none required, unfortunately, on-the-job training offered on a continual, exhausting basis. Wages and compensation, none. In fact, you will pay for your children and often pay your children to do what they should be doing anyway. A balloon payment is also due when they turn 18 because of the hope that a college education will somehow help them be financially independent. Benefits for this job? While no health care or dental insurance is available, there's no pension, no tuition reimbursement, no paid holidays, and no stock options are offered, but this job supplies limitless opportunities for personal growth and free hugs for life. That's what it's worth being a mom. You get free hugs for life. And whether your family tells you all the time or not, I want you to know your husband adores you. Your children love you. We are so very thankful. How could we ever make it without our mothers? And I want to thank God this morning for mothers who love us no matter what. Mothers who point us to Christ every day. Mothers who sacrifice and serve us in ways that we could never repay. Thank you, moms. Thank you for your love for Christ. Thank you for your love for us. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 127. And in this psalm, I want to encourage mothers today with the fact that children are a heritage from the Lord. Let me give you this morning, if I can, five encouragements, and maybe you'll see it as a challenge, that will help you make the most of your home and your family. That's five encouragements for moms this morning. Number one, dedicate your house to God. If you look at verse one, it tells us that, first of all, there's the superscript that says it's a song of ascents of Solomon. And if you see that song of ascents, maybe you remember that the psalm of ascents were songs that pilgrims would sing as they're traveling to Jerusalem three times a year to worship. They were getting their hearts right. They were singing these songs. And the psalms of ascents go from Psalm 120 to 134. Well, guess what's right in the middle of those 15 psalms? It's none other than Psalm 127. Right in the very middle of that is a tribute to parents and especially to moms who receive children as a reward. It's also interesting to note that it's Solomon who wrote this psalm. David wrote most of the psalms, but his son Solomon wrote two psalms. He wrote psalm um, he wrote this psalm, Psalm 127, and then he also wrote Psalm 72. 
Now, your first blank, if you are taking notes this morning, says the Lord must build it. The Lord must build it. This famous verse, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now, I just want to speak to that for a quick moment, if I can. I, I don't believe that this psalm is about building a building with bricks and mortar. I don't think that's what verse one is about. I, I, I don't even believe that this psalm is about building the temple in all of its majesty and in all of its glory. I believe that this psalm is about building a house. And when it says building a house, I believe it's referring to your home, something that's more precious to God than any building something that's more precious to God, particularly in the new covenant, than the temple itself. And that's your body. And God is using you as a mom to build into your home, to build into your family, to build into your lineage. The prophet Nathan, Nathan spoke to David in 2 Samuel seven sixteen, and he said, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So when we see the word house used in that context, it doesn't mean David's literal house, but it means his spiritual lineage. And if David's line led to Christ, then it would be Christ's kingdom and his throne that would be established forever. And when biblical historians speak of the house of David, they're not talking about to his house there in Jerusalem. They're talking about to his family, to his sons, and to the lineage that carried on the spirit of David, if you will, throughout time, particularly to the person of Jesus Christ. And so what I'm saying is here in Psalm 127, the idea of the Lord building the house is not that the Lord literally uses a hammer and nails, but that he is the spiritual architect, the builder and foundation of every God-honoring home. Now, the Lord chooses to build your home through you. He does so through your very lives. It, it takes a mom and a dad coming together in a special way in order to build a home, to procreate children. This is the way that God designed homes to be built. And in addition to a mother giving life to a child, the mother also has an opportunity to pass along her spiritual lineage as well. That's part of what this chapter is talking about, uh, is building up a house for God, a people of God. And so how exactly does the Lord build the house, you ask? Well, let me just give you five C's. These are not in your notes, but just jot these to the side if you want. Five C's this morning that will highlight how the Lord builds his house through you. Number one is conversion. Conversion. It was Jesus who said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And as a mother, you may, have been given a, a, you may have given physical birth to your child, but it is the Lord who causes one to be born again. It is the Lord who converts the soul. It is the Lord who regenerates the heart, who breathes life into the inner man. Mothers can teach the gospel. Mothers can call their children to repentance. Mothers can confront the unbelieving child, but mothers can take no credit for the child's salvation. Why? Because salvation comes from the Lord. And so it's the Lord that's got to build the house, and that starts with conversion. The second C I want to give you, again, these aren't in your notes, but just jot them down to the side. There's conversion, and then there's commandments, commandments. And we understand the Shema, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, goes on in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, and reminds us that these are the words that I command you today, they shall be upon your heart, and you shall what? Teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit at your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. Now, I believe in many ways that every God-honoring father ought to lead his home spiritually as the head of the house, as God appoints that in Ephesians 5. But I think it's also the mother 
that if we were honest, more times than not, has the opportunity to really impersonate that Shema of talking about the word as they walk along the way, when they get up, when they get down, because your kids are with mom more than they're with dad. A lot of dads have to get up. They have to commute to work. Maybe now you're working uh, from home, dad. So maybe you're having a new appreciation of what it is that your wife and the mother of your kids does all day. But you understand that it's moms probably who have that opportunity day in and day out to have beautiful conversations about the gospel and about the heart and about what true obedience looks like because we want to obey God's commands. And I just want to encourage moms that more than your children hearing your commands, they would hear God's commands through you. And that even more than given the do's and don'ts of scripture, which is vitally important, that they would hear the heart behind why we want to obey what it is that God's called us to obey. So we have conversion. That's how God builds the house. He gives us commandments. That's how God builds the house. The third C is communication. Communication. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs that as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And moms usually speak more to their children than their fathers. Moms are there all day. They have the opportunity again to have those conversations and have those interactions with their children. And let me just encourage you, moms, that when you're correcting that child, that your speech would also be kind, that your speech would also be compassionate, that your speech would also be filled with grace and seasoned with salt. Uh, Children learn, I believe, more about communication uh, by how you communicate than necessarily telling them what to do. It's modeling it for them. And so let me encourage you, moms, as you're communicating, that you're seeking to build each other up in your home, that you're reminding your children of that every moment of every day. The fourth C is the word compassion. Colossians 3, 12 says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. It says, with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Great description of what moms are. They're filled with that compassion, humility, meekness. This is the way that we ought to be in our homes. I mean, if we've been converted by God's grace, and if we're studying God's word and putting it into practice, if we're communicating in a godly way, then we're going to show compassion to one another. This means that we have a tender heart towards one another. It means that as you are interacting with your kids, that you're compassionate, that you're patient, that you understand their pain, their frustration. And and honestly, I just believe moms do that a lot better than dads. You know, sometimes a dad is like, get away from me, kid. What's going on? Go talk to your mother. You know, and a mom's going to be like, oh, honey, what happened? Do you have a boo-boo on your knee? You know, let me give you a kiss. Let's talk about it, honey. How was your day? How did you feel? You know, moms are just gifted at that. And I'm saying, praise God for that. Let that compassion come out of you. Teach that to your children. The fifth C that I want to give to you this morning is the word community. Community. I'm talking here about, when I say community, I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about every God-fearing mom wants to have her children in church. In fact, Hebrews 10, 25 is a verse that we've been looking at a lot lately, which just says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Mamas need to have their children in church, whether your husband comes or not, whether you feel like it or not. A godly mom will have those kids in church. And I'm not just talking about any church, just going to church to be at church. I'm talking about a God-fearing church where those kids are going to be reinforced and taught the same things you're teaching at home in children's ministry, from the preaching in the pulpit, that they can share together in worship. We need to have godly moms bringing those kids to church. And moms need to be there too. Moms need to be encouraged from the preaching. They need to be encouraged from women's ministry, small group, Titus 2, talked about older moms, teaching younger moms how it is that they can be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their husbands. There's just some things that women do a great job teaching other women. And as a mom, I trust that you want to find yourself, your family, together with your family here at church. And so the five C's that I'm bringing to us here from verse one about how the Lord builds the house, he builds it through conversion, commandments, Com, uh, communication, compassion, and community. These are just some examples of how the Lord builds his house through you. Now, the next blank there in your note says, otherwise, 
your labor is in vain. That's what the text says at the end of verse one. Uh, It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And so Solomon, again, who wrote this psalm, uses that word vain or vanity a lot. In fact, you remember Ecclesiastes, also written by Solomon in chapter one, verse two, he says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And Solomon is saying that everything you do is vanity if the Lord is not in it. It does not take labor to build a godly home. It it, it does take labor to build a godly home, but if that labor is not in the Lord, then it's all in vain. All of your effort is for naught if it's not done in his power, through his word, for his glory. And that's what we're being reminded of here. Solomon is saying that everything you do is vanity if the Lord's not in it. Moms can sometimes get caught up into cooking that perfect meal, keeping the house perfectly clean, or having children all be involved in perfect activities. Sometimes moms even get caught up into posting the perfect picture on social media because somehow they feel like that they're being left out if everyone else is posting perfect pictures of their perfect family. Not, but that's what it looks like and feels like. And, and I get that. It's okay to want to take pictures and post them on your social media. I'm not against that. I'm just saying, moms, be careful that you are reminded this morning that the only perfect moment in your home is that moment when you're adoring Christ, when you have your Bible open and together with your children, you're worshiping the Lamb of God. If you want to find perfection and fulfillment in life, don't look to social media to figure out what you need to be doing as a mom. Look to God's Word and ask your husband, what does he want you to do with your time and your energy so that your labor's not in vain? You want to be pleasing to the Lord. And I just want to remind you as moms, it's not in the magazines and it's not on the sitcoms. It's in the Word of God and you learn it at church and you'll learn it from your husband and you learn it mostly from Christ. And I just want to thank God for the moms who work hard. I'm by no means doing away with domestic duties and responsibilities. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a clean house and and eat yummy meals that are still healthy. Uh, What I'm saying is it's all in vain if Christ is not in the center. It's all in vain if Christ is not being worshiped. Don't get caught up in the wood, in the hay, in the stubble. Only the work that is done for the Lord will survive. Be reminded of that this morning. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 17:1, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. So he's saying, hey, even if you just have a real simple meal, and even if you don't have a lot of everything, if there's peace and quiet in the home, that's much more desirable than having an awesome feast and everything's perfect, but there's strife and arguing going back and forth. In other words, be content with what you have. Be joyful in the Lord every day. Make the most of your times by honoring the Lord together. Devote your heart and your home to God. Now, the second encouragement I want to give you this morning is this. Number two, look to God to watch over your home. Your next blank there says, the Lord must guard it. The Lord must guard it. Again, we're in the second part of verse one, where it says, unless the Lord watches over the city, The watchman stays awake in vain. So we're talking about that point, uh, that part where it says, unless the Lord watches over the city. Now, builders put up houses, but watchmen guard them. And you can't protect your kids on your own. It must be the Lord who watches over that city and your home. Uh, you, You remember that in the ancient world, a city would oftentimes have a wall around it with watchmen on the wall that are watching by night for any possible invasion or for any intrusion or even maybe any criminal activity. Today, we have cameras and we have security guards and we have police who patrol our cities at night. But when it comes to your home, you must look to God. We need to protect our homes and it must be with the Lord's strength and with his word. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in 
trouble. You may be afraid that your kids will be injured in an accident. You may fear that they will go and get into mischief. You may worry that something bad will happen to them. You might worry that they're going to walk away from the Lord. You might worry about them completing their education and getting a job or marrying the right person. We could worry about all kinds of things. Can I just encourage you this morning that you must trust in the Lord to be their protector And God wants to work together with you in protecting your home from content that would come in from the media, from movies. You you want to stand on guard, but ultimately you're realizing it's the Lord. Ultimate security lies in God. Otherwise, your next blank says, otherwise you stay alert in vain. Again, the end of verse one talks about how um, how it says, unless the watchman watches over the city, the wa- unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So this verse is, is, is teaching us that, uh, it, it, that it's not saying there's not a need for safety or curfews or accountability. Uh, it's just saying, don't worry in vain. Like, like uh, Jesus said in Matthew six twenty seven, in which one of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. Listen, your responsibility as a mom is to be faithful. And all you can do is give your best effort in the Lord's strength. You must trust in God's sovereignty and in his design for your home. Let me encourage you to look to God to watch over your home. Look to him for wisdom and look to him for strength and look to him for peace that, uh, that, that he would guard your house because everything else is in vain. You can't fret over it to the point to where it drives you crazy. You just can't. At some point, you gotta say, hey, my work is done. I've taught them the word. I've been on my knees praying with my kids. What they do is between them and the Lord and he's gotta protect them. He's gotta guard this home. Without the Lord doing it, it's all in vain anyway. So put your trust in the Lord and rest in his power and rest in his peace. Well, that moves us on to our third encouragement this morning. Uh, Number three says, trust God to provide for your family. Your next blank says, it is vain to strive to provide without God in the center of your efforts. The blank there is the word without It's in vain. Look at verse two again says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And so what we're learning here is that all who live in houses with families must labor to provide for their families. And nobody worked harder than mom. Proverbs 31 even talks about the hardworking and virtuous wife who makes her husband proud. She seeks wool and flax and works with her willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So we know that moms are supposed to work hard. So what is Psalm 127 saying then when it's saying, hey, that might be in vain? What what is it saying? Is it saying that a godly wife or a mom shouldn't work like that? I, I would say by no means. How do we understand it then? Well, I appreciate Dr. Barrick, who in his work on Psalm 127 wrote this, quote, Solomon is not sliding honest labor. He shows the futility of feverish, fretting, and fanatical labor. This text addresses the workaholic and those who fiercely are, are fiercely self-sufficient. Well, that's well said by Dr. Barrick. He's basically saying if there's a mom who's such a perfectionist that they're toiling, and notice the word says with anxious toil, to the point they're, they're working uh, out of their own strength, thus running out of the rest that God provides, then that's not a healthy thing. You, you know, we need moms to work hard, but we need moms to rest too. We need you at some point to, to put, put it down and go to bed. We, we need you at some point to make sure you're being fed with your time in the word and your time being encouraged. I mean, we understand working hard is important. Second Thessalonians 3, 8, if you don't work, you don't eat, verse 10 says. And so again, the point is not that it's unwise to rise up early and to stay up late at times. The point is, is that God better be at the center of it all. So in your labor, you're doing it as unto the Lord, as an act of worship, as part of your calling as a mom, that you're doing it with joy in your heart every day. And I can't imagine what that would be like, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm a father, not a mom. I just believe that God 
built moms that way, where moms have extra grace, extra strength, extra wisdom of how to deal with 17 things going on at one time. I just stand amazed sometimes watching my wife tending to this need, this need, this need, and then she'll ask me to do something. I'm like, honey, I can only do one thing at a time. Let me get this done. And when I get this done, I can go help you do that thing. But our wife can just do it all. And I just praise God for that. And I'm saying, just don't do it in a way that would ever be totally in your own strength at the expense, here's the key, at the expense of neglecting your children. If a mom was getting so caught up in the chores around the house and everything that has to be done, and she's neglecting the cries of the attention needed of the children to address their life and to address their hearts, then in that moment, you've got to remember, mom, that children are more important than chores. I mean, in that moment, you might have to put the laundry down. You might have to get off the phone. You might have to, you know, stop vacuuming or cooking for a moment because that child in that moment needs a mom. And only you can be the mom. And I just want to encourage you in that. Just remind you, it's not so much about getting everything done. It's about loving God and exalting him. And everything else, in some ways, is vanity. Again, Ecclesiastes 1.14 says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. Now, like I've already said, there is a balance to it. There is an art to it. Judgments must be made. But I'm just trying to encourage you, don't look to social media to figure out what you should be doing. You ask God and you get on your knees and you read Psalms like this one and you read about the Shema and you read in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 and Colossians 3 and every other passage that would just remind you of the joy of what it's like to build your house, moms. God wants you to build your house on the rock and the rock is Jesus Christ. And then you can rest because the end of verse 2 And our next blank says, it is the Lord who gives sleep to his beloved. Your next blank is the word sleep. Again, the end of verse two, once you've done all that you've done, it reminds us for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, a lot of people have trouble sleeping at night. And a lot of moms in particular have thoughts racing through their head of all the things that have happened that day and all the things they got to get ready maybe for tomorrow. And oftentimes a mom might toss and turn throughout the night worried about a trial that is affecting the family. And if that's you this morning, can I just encourage you to receive this precious gift from God? And that gift is this gift of rest that God wants to give you this morning. This day, this special Mother's Day, the reminder that you too need your rest. I would say that the number one enemy of rest is worry. And sometimes moms feel noble about their worry. They're like, well, my kid's going through this and my kid's going through that, so it's right for me to be concerned. But if you're not careful, that concern flips over into worry, worry, and then you start to insert yourself instead of the Holy Spirit instead of trusting in the providence of God, into that situation. And like I said, there's always a balance. You want to be a hard-fighting mom. You want to be there for your kids, and you want to give it your all. But you also got to realize there is an end to your resources. And there is that place where only God can bring about the resolution of that issue. And we can point people to God, and we've got to trust in God. And when we do that and do it well, I believe that's when God gives us rest. So let me just ask you, moms, how? How do you sleep at night? And if you're one of those moms who's not sleeping well at night, is it possible that you're doing it in your own strength? To which this chapter here, chapter 127, says then you're doing it in vain. Because when you're doing it in the Lord's strength for his glory, you're able to sit down and rest in a way that you know it's all up to the Lord. It kind of reminds me of that parable that Jesus taught in Mark 4, 26, when he said the kingdom of God as if, as if a man scattered his, the seed on the ground. And then it says he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and he knows not how. The whole point of that parable is all you can do is sow the seed. And at night, sometimes even while you're sleeping, God's at work. He's the one germinating faith in the heart of your child. He's the one maybe using another sibling or using your husband or just using the word of God or it's just the Holy Spirit working in that moment, even while you're at sleep. So I just wanna encourage you again, don't do it in vain. Don't do it in your strength. Trust the Lord and receive that beautiful gift of rest that he gives to each and every mom. 
So we're talking about dedicating your house to God, looking to God to watch over your home, trusting God to provide for your family. And now here we are in our fourth heading. Our fourth point tonight is recognize children as God's blessing. Number four, recognize children as God's blessing. Your next blank says children are a gift. Children are a gift. It says, verse three, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Now the word uh, behold there, marks a transition in this psalm from dependence on the Lord to the descendants of the Lord. Behold uh, is that word that says, hey, listen up. I'm now going to pivot from what I've been saying to just to say something else to you that's kind of on a different note. And what he's saying here is that children are a heritage from the Lord. That word heritage could be translated as a gift It could be translated as a possession or as property even. I think there's a reminder here that children belong to God. They are given by God to the parents to be stewards of this precious gift of life. And we see this in the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. You might remember that Hannah was not able to have children and it affected her deeply. And the Bible says that even though her husband Elkanah loved her and he would give to her a double portion of food and blessing in his home, Hannah wept and she would not eat. And she was ravished on the inside with this burden to have children. And so she gets up and she goes to the temple and she pours her heart out to the Lord. In fact, she says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, she made a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and forget not your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Hannah realized that children are a gift from God and God gives children to whom he will for his own glory. And sure enough, God answered Hannah's prayer and gave her a baby boy. And she named that son Samuel. And after she weaned him, she brought Samuel to the temple and told Eli the priest in 1 Samuel 1, 27, 28, for this child I prayed, the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Well, what a great reminder for moms today that if you have been blessed with children as a heritage, a gift from God, those children don't belong to you. They're his possession. You're a steward over over them and you've received that direct gift from God and children are precious, children are priceless, children are to be prized over any earthly possession. Children are not a burden, they're seen uh, seen as a blessing from the Lord. And if you are called, uh, you are called as a mom to give your child back to the Lord. Uh, They ultimately belong to God. He is the giver of life. And among the Jews, it was important that young people get married and have families. It was unheard of that a husband and wife might not even want to have children or that a child would somehow be aborted because the Jewish culture realized that children are indeed a heritage, a gift from God. We we, want to make our homes a treasury filled with gifts. And at the same time, you hold those gifts with open arms to give them back to the Lord. Now, not only are children a gift, but verse three goes on to say that children are a reward. Your next blank there, the word reward. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. And so like Hannah, there were other women in the Bible who desperately wanted children. There was Sarah, who was of old age. There was Isaac, who prayed for his wife, Rebecca, and she conceived. There was Rachel, who was desperate to have children with Jacob. There was in the New Testament, Elizabeth, who was also a little bit older, that gave birth to John the Baptist. And so the obvious question would be, well, why does God reward some wives and not others? And the only answer to that question would be, shall not the judge of the earth do what is just and right? Genesis 18, 25. In other words, God does what he does. And it doesn't mean that 
one wife or, or married woman who wants to have kids has somehow done something bad and she's been punished. We, we don't see that clearly taught in scripture as just to make that assumption just like that. We, we just have to understand that God does what he does. In fact, do you remember Job 1? Job chapter 1, it's all about how the Lord gave Job children and then he took them away. And Job's conclusion was, blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, Please note as well that we've got to understand that Psalm 127 verse 3 that we're looking at here says that children are the fruit of the womb and a reward. It doesn't say that children are the reward. I think there's some moms that maybe you need to listen this morning. We love you. God loves you. God's given you the reward, which is Christ and salvation. And sometimes a woman might feel that. And if she doesn't have that child, she doesn't have any reward. Well, just remember again, it says a reward, not the reward. The ultimate reward is not a child, but it is salvation. Be encouraged that if God has saved you and if you're in Christ this morning, there's no greater reward that you could ever receive. In fact, I would caution you this morning, humbly and and compassionately, don't let your desire to have children become an idol. Don't let any desire become an idol. Look to God this morning and tell him, you're enough, Lord. You're enough. I love you, Lord. I thank you. What more could I ask for that you haven't given to me? You've given me all things. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I am satisfied with you. Lord, you are more than enough than all I need. Make sure you let the Lord know you're grateful for his gift of salvation to you. And I just want to encourage you as well, even in Psalm 73, written by Asaph, he writes this, Whom am I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Just be reminded the Lord is your portion and he loves you. And he's going to minister to you in ways that you can't even imagine. And just keep praying by faith for whatever it is you're praying for. But just trust God that every day belongs to him. And not only is God our strength and our portion forever, but he does give us the opportunity. If you are a married woman or any woman who would one day want to have kids, and and that's just not where you're at right now, just be reminded you have the opportunity to pour into other children here at our church. There's the opportunity to pour into our children's ministry where you can invest your life in children. There's the idea of even adoption. There's the idea of helping out nieces and nephews. There's the idea of being a blessing even to neighborhood children that you could evangelize and you could begin some type of backyard Bible club or be a part of the Good News Club. There's so many ways that you could understand. And and who knows? If one day God might not hear your prayer, like he heard the prayer of Hannah and give you a child. And if that would ever happen in your life, whether you had to wait for a long time or it just seemed like you had a child like that, just remember they're a heritage from the Lord. They're a gift from God and they are a reward. Hold them loosely, hold them lightly and make sure that you understand you are going to really be moving towards what our next point is. Our final encouragement and challenge this morning is that you're to prepare your children to make a difference. That next blank says your children are like arrows. Your children are like arrows, verse four, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Verses four and five return to that wartime mentality that we saw in verse one. Remember about the watchman watching over the wall, watching over the city. That's what verse one was about. And now we're talking about how you're called to, uh, to make arrows. You're called in verse four again to let those arrows be in the hand of a warrior. In other words, I like the, the wartime mentality. It's kind of like verse one is all about defense, We're watching, we're protecting the city. Verse four is all about offense. All right, now with these kids, it's time to go to war. We're gonna now go on the offensive. It's not good enough just to build a house and build a city and stay put. The Lord's army is also advancing his kingdom. And we don't wanna put our light under a bushel. We don't wanna stay quiet. We need to speak out and we need to be ready to fight. And part of the way you do that is by preparing your children to fight alongside of you. 
Your children who are a heritage from the Lord, your children who are the fruit of your womb, your children who are a reward from God are to be shot out like an arrow from the bow of a warrior. And an arrow is a very fitting analogy to what our children are. Now, let me show you how an arrow is so fitting to understand this. First of all, an arrow has to be shaped. Arrows don't make themselves. Every uh, respectful warrior would be responsible for making sometimes his own arrow. You could have the tip of that arrow that would be chiseled out of stone. You could have the shaft of that arrow made out of wood. You could have those feathers at the very rear of that shaft to kind of help that arrow have stability uh, to fly through the air. And an advanced warrior takes pride in shaping his arrows so that he can depend upon them in battle. And as a parent, you are God's warrior. As a parent, you are to be in the fight. And part of your job is to prepare your arrows. You are to take the time to bring your children up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. You are to teach your children diligently to obey the word of the Lord. You are to make known God's word and God's ways to your sons and to your daughters. You are to train up a child in the way he should go. And some parents may say, but I don't want to force my faith upon my children. Well, no one is telling you to force your faith upon your children. The Bible just simply tells you, teach them, show them, model it for them. Try to help craft their character by pointing them to Christ. Without Christ, we know that they'll never become what it is that you're aiming at. But the idea is here, you want to teach it, you want to talk about it, you want to model it, and you want your kids to get that input from you. Because let me tell you, they're getting a world full of information from what's out there. You think your kid's not hearing it at school, from the lunch line, uh, from social media, from, from the movies or TV that they watch. I mean, the world is out to get your children. But you have a responsibility as a mom and as a dad to shape those arrows, that you're reminding your kids what it's all about, that you would have the biggest influence on your child's life, more than the teacher at school, more than the Sunday school teacher, more than the youth pastor. You're a mom, you're a dad this morning and you have that opportunity to shape those arrows to love God and to come to him and, to, and you want to show your children that, that God matters in life. I mean, you know them better than anybody else. You know their strengths. You know their weaknesses. You know what makes them tick. You know what motivates them. You, you know how that you can make those arrows strong and sturdy. Well, not only are we to shape those arrows that God gives us, we are also to aim those arrows at the proper target. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. So we've got to aim those arrows at the right enemy. And the Bible tells us that we have three enemies, namely the flesh, the world, and the devil. And it's your opportunity and responsibility as a parent to aim your children at the enemies of the flesh. Romans 6, 6 says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin should be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You have that opportunity to talk to your kids about that daily battle. Romans 7 talks about as well against the flesh and every day is a battle and every day we have to live the crucified life so that the body of sin would be brought to nothing so that we could be free. And then as we teach our kids about aiming those arrows at the flesh, we have to remind them that those arrows need to be aimed at the world, the desires of the world. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then we teach our children that they also need to be ready to fight a spiritual battle against the devil, against his cosmic powers, Ephesians 6, uh, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. You have an opportunity as a parent to prepare them, to aim them. Are, are you helping shape their character, and their convictions? Are you aiming them at the right enemy? Are your children being aimed directly at God's enemies and are they armed with the gospel of Christ? So it's our job as parents 
to shape those arrows best that we can with the Lord's help, to aim those arrows at the right target, what it is that we're up against. And then lastly, it doesn't do us any good if we're not ready to let those targets go, right? We, we let those arrows go, excuse me. We have, to, we have to aim them and then we have to shoot them. And we wanna make sure, again, that they're aimed at the right thing. It was Puritan Henry Smith who said, if children be well-bred, they shoot at the enemies." But if they be ill-bred, they shoot at parents. Isn't that the truth? If you don't raise your children to fire at the enemy, they're going to fire at you. And arrows need to be shaped. They need to be aimed, but they need to be released. You can't hold on to your children forever. Remember Hannah? She gave up Samuel to the Lord. For the, for he, for, she lent him to the Lord saying, God, this baby is yours Take my son, take my daughter. Your job is to raise them up and then to let them go, to send them out into the world, to do whatever it is that God's called them to do, to to raise your children to be godly teachers or godly policemen or, or firemen or raise them to be godly doctors or godly lawyers or businessmen, uh, to raise them. Why not raise them to be missionaries? Why not raise your sons to be pastors? Why not raise your children to be biblical counselors that will make a difference for the cause of Christ? That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're raising arrows because we're in a fight. And the way that you fight is spiritually through your own sanctification, but through pouring your life into your kids. Do you understand this? Your kids are an extension of you. You can only go so far. God, God help us to have our kids stand on our shoulders, that we've been so far in our life and we want our kids to go even further, even stronger, to be even more dynamic, to be even more spirit-filled, to be even more on fire, that they would continue the fight that God's called us to, which is the Great Commission. Oh, how I wish that moms and dads would see this vision and how I wish that moms and dads would be reminded today that the success of your child is not about how many educational degrees they have and it's not about how much money they make. It's not about that. It's not about their image in this world as a successful person. It's all about are they living for God? Are they loving God? Are they witnessing the gospel? Are they unashamed? Are they the kind of arrows that are really making a difference in this world? Are they reaching the lost? Are they living for God? That's all you really, really, really would want as a godly parent with a godly child. Well, your children are like arrows and your children also, your next blank says, your children fill your life with blessings. They fill your life with blessings. Verse five, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Now I'm pleased to tell you this morning that a quiver, you probably already guessed, is what a warrior carries around his arrows in. And there is no specified number about how much a quiver is. You could have one child, you could have 10 child ch- children, right? One or 10 or more, and it doesn't matter. Your quiver is full When God says it's full, God is the one who gives life. God gives desires to moms and dads, which I believe they can exercise. It's a spiritual liberty to say, hey, you know what? I believe our quiver's full at this point or at this point or at this point. There's nothing more godly about having a ton of kids and there's nothing more godly about having fewer kids. I would say in general, in general, that maybe more seems to be a direction that the verse hits. But more, again, is a relative term. And for you, that might be one. It might be two. I think that just the general idea is, man, aren't they a blessing? And and, and it does give the connotation, the more, the better. That's all I'm saying. It's just a general connotation. But you have that liberty along with the Lord's sovereignty to uh, figure that out. And so, uh, you know, when our kids were younger, you know, we have five kids. We we never knew we'd have five kids. Uh, We didn't actually plan on five kids. One of those kids was a surprise. And we praise God for that, right? But whenever our kids were younger. Lisa uh, had all five kids at the grocery store, and she would tell me that people always look at her and be like, oh, well, you sure got your hands full, don't you? And she would always look back at them and say, full of blessings, you know, and it's just like, that's the reminder that we need, that children are a blessing from the Lord. Each child 
is a gift, and each child is an opportunity for us to just be thankful. In fact, there's a story of a man who lived over 100 years ago who was a godly man. He and his wife had 10 children. There was this story about this certain dignitary that was coming over to their house for dinner, and so the wife had all the kids, you know, take a bath and look their best and put on nice clothes, and they're lined up there in the family room, and the guest comes over, and he sees all the mouths to feed, and he said something to the extent of uh, many children make a rich man poor, to which the man responded, I respectfully disagree. Many children make a poor man rich. And that's what I would say. Any parent would probably say that. You know what? Kids, they can be a challenge. And sometimes you might pull your hair out. But you know what? Overall, they make you rich. I mean, they cost a lot, right? There's school payments, there's ball teams and dance and gymnastics and braces and doctor bills and clothes and cars and college and weddings to pay for, but you're all the more rich for the experience and the priceless blessing that you receive. And that's why the next Psalm, Psalm 128 verse three says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine. Within your house, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And boy, our culture really has lost that with the abortion rate going like it's going, with children sometimes just not being properly cared for. We just want to be reminded this morning, they're a blessing, they're a heritage from the Lord. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Your next blank says your children will defend you against your enemies. They will defend you against your enemies. Blessed is the man whose uh, quiver is filled with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The city gate was like the meeting place for all the townspeople. It could be the spot to conduct official business. It could be the spot for social interaction. It could also be the place where a social, I mean, excuse me, a formal accusation was made. And at the end of verse five here, it's simply saying, your children have your back. Your children are there to help you as a parent. I think here, particularly as you're aging, your children are now there to vouch for your character and to protect you and what's going on. It's kind of like parents help their children when the children are young. But when the children get older and then the parents getting older, that child then assumes that role of helping the aging parent. There's another application here. That would be if the enemy was coming against your home or your city and trying to get in through the gate, that you might have the privilege of fighting side by side next to your sons and daughters, that you're all aiming at the same things, that, uh, that parents and children are fighting together, defending their faith and their freedom and their family values. That's the, the joy of knowing that, that you, if you have been given children, you will not be put to shame when your enemy speaks against you in the gates, that you have children who are there, they have your back, they're there to fight with you, and they, they're, they're there to be a blessing. And this is Proverbs 6.20 says, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. And when children do this, then parents will not be put to shame, but will have an extra measure of protection. Well, moms, I hope that you've been blessed this morning. I hope that you've been encouraged this morning. We love you. And we are so very, very thankful for you, each and every one of you. And of course, what makes you a mother is the fact that you've been blessed with children. And I hope that you're reminded today of this incredible blessing and this incredible responsibility that you have as a mom. It was Spurgeon who said on this text, he actually said, quote, one of the greatest outward blessings is to have a family full of dutiful children. To have many children is the next best blessing to much grace. To have many children is about us is better than to have much wealth about us. So to have many children about us is better than much wealth about us. To have, uh, to have store of these olive plants, as the psalmist calls them, round about our table is better than to have store of oil and wine upon our table. We know the worth of dead or lifeless treasures, but who knows the worth of living treasures? Your children are a heritage from the Lord. Moms, you gave them birth. You're pointing them to Jesus. 
May God bless you in that endeavor. May you get the rest that you need tonight and every night for the rest of your life because you know that ultimately it's up to God. Every other effort outside of the Lord is in vain. Be enjoying your motherhood. Make the most of every moment. We love you. We thank God for you. Let me pray for you now. Father, thank you for the opportunity to just look at Psalm 127. What an amazing chapter of scripture here in the Psalter. What amazing wisdom that Solomon gives, that reminder that unless the Lord builds the house, that it's in vain. Lord, I thank you for reminding us today that there's a spiritual understanding of what it means to build the house. It means to build a godly family. And all of our efforts are in vain if they're not done in your strength and not done for your glory, and not done for your honor and your renown. And I just pray you would remind us this morning that it's all about you, and that you would help us as we shape those arrows, as we aim those arrows, as we release those arrows. God, encourage moms today that those arrows can make a great difference in the kingdom of God. So help us to shape them well. Help us to prioritize the beautiful responsibility of being a mom in the home with children every day, looking to God's word, seeking to shepherd the heart, and seeking to just enjoy the privilege and the honor, the reward of being called mom. Thank you for our moms. Bless them this day. Give them strength and extra grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.